Come on, come in, let the fun begin. At MichiganLottery.com, the one place you'll find exclusive games like Queen of Diamonds and Michigan Cash Drop, plus Powerball and Mega Millions that can reach a billion dollars. Cash out online or at your favorite store. And all proceeds support Michigan schools and businesses. Get 100% match on your first deposit up to $100, plus free games. Sign up with promo code RADIO. Knowing your limits is always the best bet. So play on Michigan, because we all win. The Leslie Marshall Show. The only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free, and our theme song today is actually uh, very applicable because I am a woman, and we do have another strong woman joining us today, and I'm very thrilled about that. First of all, a shout-out to everybody listening to us on radio, on stream, on podcast, watching us on Twitter's Periscope Live, watching live on Periscope, I guess I should say, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live. Really good to have you, whether you're watching or you're listening. Lots to talk about uh, today with our guest. And our guest is Roxanne Brown. Roxanne has been on the program before, uh, but I'm very excited because we can see each other this time around. Uh, you know, since COVID came around, we changed up the show so I can see the guest and I love that. Roxanne is the USW International Vice President at Large. And for 20 years, she has served USW members from the union's legislative office in Washington, D.C., most recently as legislative director. She continues to oversee the union's public policy and legislative agenda, as well as its political work. And throughout her career, she's worked with members and allies to advance policies on Capitol Hill and with regulatory agencies to help the workers. She has extensive experience in defense procurement policy, environmental regulation, energy, cement, specialty metals, and biomass carbon neutrality. Uh, Roxanne has been on before. Like I said, she gave an excellent interview last time. Of course, we invited her to have, uh, have her back, excited to have her back on the show. And I have to say, a lot of people think of you know, uh, unions or USW as a bunch of blue collar guys. And it's just nice to have a woman and a woman of color at the helm in such a prestigious position. And uh, it like over 20 years, you know, she's been a part of this. And I say that because, you know, we have these stereotypes of unions or union workers and those stereotypes are old and, and, and they're wrong. Uh, glad to have you with us, Roxanne. Let me just tell people on Twitter, if you want to give a shout out to her, follow her there on Twitter at Brown Rocks, B-R-O-W-N-R-O-X. And be sure to follow the USW using the handle Steelworkers at Steelworkers on Twitter. Visit the website USW.org. Find out all the things that the USW does. And I'll give you a hint. It's not just a bunch of blue collar guys and it's not just about steel. Roxanne, thank you for joining us and coming back on the program today. Good afternoon and welcome. Hi, Leslie. It's always so great to be with you. I'm seeing out me being a woman uh, and the fact that, you know, this is not the image that comes to people's mind when they. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. We're having a, a little bit of a, a, a lag with the stream here, but I hope Roxanne uh, can hear me. Uh, let me try to uh, pose the question because I think she's frozen. Mark, maybe we can uh, uh, work uh, to fix that. Uh, we can do our first segment. 
And oh, are you with us? You with us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. You're good right now. Let's see what we can do. If it lags again, we can, you know, shut the camera off, fix during the break, and come back. Uh, but that's Mark's. Mark, that I am not the techno girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. You know, over over the last uh, several decades, uh, choices in in policies led to the offshoring and outsourcing of jobs and specifically uh, American manufacturing jobs that weakened our supply chains. And I remember when COVID first happened, everybody was talking about, you know, freaking out, going to the supermarket for toilet paper and other things, bottles, water or whatever. And people were saying, are we going to be okay? And managers at the supermarkets were saying, as long as the supply chain is not affected or not interrupted. Um, But we have seen with COVID how vulnerable we are in times of crises when we do have a weakened uh, supply chain. Um, So first of all, I wanted you to talk about um, our capacity as a nation to manufacture goods and to manufacture essential goods and, and how, if we don't do that and don't look to our manufacturing base to do that, how we're weakened and how our industrial supply chains are weakened. And it does a number of things, compromises safety, safety and security in our nation. I think people forget this, you know, national security comes under the umbrella of, of all of this. So please speak to that. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for the question, Leslie. There's a term that our, our president, Tom Conway, has been using. It's called manufacturing decay. And, you know, this is a concept that our members know intimately, unfortunately, you know, because we've lost about 5 million manufacturing jobs since 2007. This past year exposed the manufacturing decay that we were aware of to the American populace, really to the world, right? Where we saw that the basic things that we needed in this country, like face masks, face shields, we could not supply for our nurses and our doctors. And so, you know, the capacity that we did have for so many years has been outsourced over so many years because of unbalanced trade policies, because of lack of investment in the domestic manufacturing sector. Um, And so the promise of domestic manufacturing that was once held uh, in significant, um, you know, esteem and and kind of regard has been weakened over, over the years because of these, you know, unbalanced policies. And so what's clear now is that we need a reboot. Uh, There is so much that needs to be done to get the United States back on track in terms of its industrial sector so that we can supply, you know, not just the face masks, but the pharmaceuticals. Um, You know, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about infrastructure, but the components that we need to upgrade and repair infrastructure quite literally across the entire manufacturing economy we need to reboot and revitalize and create a bit of a renaissance. I agree with you 100%. Another area that we need to reboot is when we're trying to literally clean up our act with regard to global warming and to, to climate change. You know, the, these, comp- these countries that we're outsourcing to um, are countries that have weaker emissions um, and, uh, you know, reduce the goals that we and our allies in the international community have set. This undermines goals for climate remediation. Um, we actually have the cleanest manufacturing standards and, and processes in the world. We have a ready workforce uh, to rise to the task of clean uh, production. Um, you know, is is you know, it's even worse if you're you know giving you know if you're driving over a bridge that's made with you know steel from China, the, the steel isn't going to be the quality. But we're also giving you know businesses 
it, it just seems so hypocritical, quite frankly, to countries with weaker emissions um, than we have, and then our own goals, and 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 then not to mention, uh, you know, how some of these people are treated, uh, where some of these goods are made. Absolutely, and again, it's a failure of our trade policy, you know, and and. I, I'm sorry to sound, you know, like a like a like a parrot here repeating the trade policy, the trade policy, the trade policy. But it really is so much of the root cause of of what's happened in this country. Um, and and you layered on an additional piece in terms of just how clean and efficient the domestic um, industry is. If you look at the steel industry in particular, it is one of the cleanest steel industries in the world, the US steel industry. And they've done yeoman's work since 1990 to really reduce their emissions of carbon and other toxics going into the air. Unfortunately, our trade policies have allowed for, as you mentioned, steel that's not clean to become to come into the United States to be used across all different types of applications, whether it's infrastructure or buildings or or, or what have you. Um, and that's really weakened the competitiveness of the domestic industry. And so that's where, um, you know, for us, we've been really talking about a policy called buy clean, which would be a procurement policy to encourage the domestic, the sourcing of the cleanest uh, components possible for our infrastructure and our buildings. So, you know, if there is, um, you know, uh, an investment that's going to happen in California, for example, in San Francisco, and there's a bid for a project, rather than just buying the cheapest steel, they're going to buy the steel that was made in California, hopefully using the, the local sourcing rules, but also the cleanest steel. And that in most cases will be steel that was made um, you know, locally. So that these are the things that we're trying to push for. Do, do you think that since the pandemic, um, you know, politicians on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, see even more of the reason that, and, and you know, I, I, I don't want to say punish, but I guess, you know, reward companies that open plants here, keep uh, production and manufacturing here, because before the pandemic, but even more so since the pandemic, this has forced workers and communities to struggle with the loss of good manufacturing jobs, the United States with the, the loss of good goods. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so do, do you think there's hope in the future that, you know, we could have bipartisan support for um, incentivizing corporations to stop sending jobs overseas and, and finally bring some of these jobs home? I hope so. You know, um, we're in the 117th Congress right now that started in January. And without fail, you know, during each congressional session, there's always a bill or bills to prevent outsourcing and to... <laughs> you know, address the tax policies that encourage outsourcing. And so the hope is that our policymakers, now that Congress looks different, where we have pro-worker, um, you know, a pro-worker majority in the House and the Senate, we'll see some, some benefits and some improvements with tax policy. That's the hope. Look at you getting out in 30 seconds, girl. Oh, right on. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some specifics in some places that have closed here in the United States. We're going to talk infrastructure. We're going to talk the Biden administration. We'll be back. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We 
are back. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall, only true democracy and talk. Our guest is Roxanne Brown, USW's international vice president at large. Please follow her on Twitter at Brown Rocks, B-R-O-W-N-R-O-X. Follow the USW at Steelworkers and visit their website, USW.org. Roxanne, thank you for holding a welcome back. Uh, when we're talking about uh, strengthening uh, um, manufacturing in the United States, um, you know, even and not just because of COVID, but we are seeing different operations, production, manufacturing plants close. One example is, I hope I'm saying it right, Timmet, uh, the plant in Henderson, Nevada. Henderson is a suburb of Vegas. I know some people that live in that area. Uh, it was actually the last remaining titanium sponge plant uh, in the United States. And actually from, uh, you know, the research between USW Research and, and Marky Mark Romaldi, our executive producer research, you know, I didn't know that titanium sponge uh, is a coral-like material and that this material is essential for manufacturing, specifically when you talk about national security, uh, our, our military, TIMET, sorry, thank you, uh, is uh, warplanes, munitions, satellites, civilian jetliner ships, and, uh, and even joints for artificial hips. Um, uh, 420 workers lost their job. And this left us, again, completely dependent on foreign imports. Uh, can you speak to this as twofold here, not just uh, our dependency on foreign imports, um, again, uh, with regard uh, to these, uh, you know, this closure, um, but also how when we talk about infrastructure, it's not just roads and bridges. When we talk about essential manufacturing items in the United States, we don't think about things like, um, you know, uh, uh, the joint, you know, something that puts together and holds together the joint for an artificial hip. We don't think about warplanes, munitions, satellites, civilian jetliner, ships. These are all essential um, to transportation. These are essential to national security and obviously uh, to healthcare. Uh, can you please speak to those issues? Absolutely. And I appreciate you raising time. Ed. It, it was so terrible, this loss, 420 jobs in an area of the state that has really been hard hit by job loss because of the, the pandemic. And so um, it's just been terrible for unemployment in, in that part of Nevada. It's been awful. And I think this speaks to, to two things, and, and you raised both of them. One, the defense industrial base overall has been significantly hollowed out over the years. And, and this is the most, the most recent and most egregious example where we have this critical component, the last remaining producer, domestic producer of titanium sponge, um, you know, supplying well over, uh, well over 400 jobs uh, in, in this community, just lost, just like that. And there was outreach actually at that point to the Trump, to the then Trump administration uh, to help keep this facility afloat because it is so critical to our our defense systems, our warships, our planes, not just not just uh, Air Force planes, but also commercial planes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as you mentioned, healthcare. in terms you don't think about, you know, this very, you know, kind of unique product that needs to be used in in, in hip um hip mechanism, what is it? I don't even know how to say it, but hip, hip mechanisms. The, hip, the, the joint, the hip <laughs> joint <Yeah>. mechanisms. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and, and these are the things that I think um, are lost on policymakers so many times when they think of manufacturing, they think of it as a monolith and they don't drill down into how these components are so very critical to the day-to-day -day functions of this country, critical to keeping us safe because now, do you know where we need to get our, our titanium sponge for, from now that it's lost here domestically? China and that. Russia. China and Russia. Yeah, because China and Russia making things. 
Hip aside, warplanes? Warplanes, ships, providing critical components. The fact that we now have to rely on China and Russia for our titanium sponge. Other nations make it as well, but China has been overproducing the entire world and everything. So China is where we're going to be getting a lot of this from. And so, you know, this is this is a significant problem. And it's just one story of many, specifically within the defense industrial base. That's just been problematic. Uh, the loss of manufacturing capacity is so dire. And, you know, we've only touched upon, you know, a, li- a little piece of it that uh, last month, uh, President Biden signed an executive order instituting a 100 day review of critical supply chains. I would imagine this got applause from USW and from other unions. Um, this it, it, would you say that this is just a first and much needed step? I would say so, because I think initially the this executive order, which we appreciate very much because in recent history, no other administration has done a deep dive into the domestic supply chain period. Um, most forget that there's a domestic supply chain that, that needs to be assessed. Um, and, and this, the scope is kind of limited initially to things like semiconductors because there has been a challenge. I was reading an article uh, the other day about uh, some of the auto manufacturers slowing down production because of the shortage in computer chips. The computer chips that we rely on for our entertainment um, systems in our cars, um, but also pharmaceuticals. You know, we are uh, are the steelworkers uh, members actually make pharmaceuticals in the United States. Our members are actually making some of the Johnson and Johnson COVID vaccines in Pennsylvania. You know, so there needs to be a deep dive into what we do have domestically and making sure that we retain the capacity that we have but not just retain it but build upon it because so much so many of our pharmaceuticals again are imported from other nations we need to make sure that our domestic capacity is as strong as possible you know, uh, there are a number of policies that we've heard unions and others uh, that have championed for and for years. Um, these policies would help shore up production, strengthen clean energy, domestic supply chains, and bring good union jobs back to the communities here in the United States uh, that need it most. Um, I was talking with, and I know you know him, Scott Paul at the AAM. Yes. And, um, you know, some people would say that you wouldn't think Joe Biden would be the guy to do this or to do that. But when it comes to infrastructure, I think a lot of people think if anybody can do this, Joe Biden can, not only because of his years of experience um, in politics, um, you know, having worked as a senator, um, having come from Scranton, a very blue collar union town, um, having worked as a vice president and now he's president. Um, but, you know, he, he also really understands the middle class worker. He understands the manufacturing community. He understands unions. He understands infrastructure. Uh, do, do you think that this could be perhaps finally uh, the, the, the day, the person, the administration to get this done? Absolutely. I think uh, infrastructure was the meat that the Trump administration left on the table. There was a whole whole bunch of lip service over four years about infrastructure investments and what needed to happen and how making these investments were going to, you know, lead to the best steel industry the the United States has ever had. Petered out. We were left with no investments and um, a weakening, really, of the economy and key and key parts of our country. You know, overall, numbers looked good pre-COVID. Overall, economically, numbers looked good. But when you drill down into specific manufacturing communities where an, an, a significant infrastructure investment would have meant a lot, you see that the country was hurting. 
And so now President Biden has a huge opportunity to pick up the slack that was left by the Trump administration. And we have the utmost faith that he's going to do that. I do, too. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that massive infrastructure investment that unions and others are asking for. And by the way, this is an area that we always talk about that has extreme bipartisan support. So why can't we get left and right, Democrat and Republican, to come together uh, for the good of America and our uh, terrible rating with infrastructure? We'll be back to talk more about that with our guest. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. She's not saying Brown, the MSW, at large. More than a pleasure to have her back. Please, like I said, check out their website, usw.org. Follow the USW on Twitter at Steelworkers and follow Roxanne at Brown Rocks, B-R-O-W-N-R-O-X. Roxanne, thank you for holding. Welcome back. We're talking about investing in um, infrastructure. And um, I know that not just the USW, but so many who support um, an infrastructure package feel that we need a massive infrastructure investment, one that rebuilds our country and one that builds our, uh, rebuilds our country with American-made materials. Is that a fair assessment? That's exactly right, Leslie. And recently, the American Society for Civil Engineers released their 2021 report card. They they do a report every four years, and they've been doing it since the 1990s. And they gave America's overall infrastructure a grade of C-, which actually is the highest grade <laughs> that uh, the American infrastructure has received since they've been doing these reports uh, from the 90s. And I think that that speaks to some of the infrastructure that's up, upgrades that have been happening at the state level um, and some some tweaks here that have been happening from the federal level. But they still say that America needs at least a two trillion dollar infrastructure investment. That's what this you know group of, of civil engineers says. You look to the Biden administration and they're looking at at least a three trillion dollar package around infrastructure that does exactly what you talk about, um, you know, building out and repairing these systems and doing it using the products that are made here in the United States by steelworker members uh, and, and other union workers across this country. It's essential. Road and bridge building legislation um, historically has support from both parties, right? Um, you know, uh, they can, you know, create jobs back home by delivering on these types of projects. But Republicans have said they disagree with the focus from President Biden on the environment. Uh, They disagree with financing any program with debt because the government borrowed heavily to address the economic fallout from the COVID pandemic. And with the recent voting along party lines against the wishes of their constituents and the majority of the people, even a sizable chunk of Republicans, uh, Republicans all voted against the stimulus bill, uh, which politically I think will come back to bite them. But uh, more importantly, importantly, is hurting um, you know the individuals in their state if they're a senator in their district, if they're a House member, or a congressional member. Um, do you think that 
infrastructure may go the same way as COVID-19, or is there a way to convince Republicans to come on board uh, despite their attitude regarding the focus of the environment, which has to be included with regard to infrastructure, and, and, and of course, how you're going to pay for it, which is, you know, Republicans ask Democrats that almost every day. I think it's the way that you look at our infrastructure systems. You know, um, the nature of these systems and their job, you know, because these systems have a job, our pipeline systems, our, our, our grid, they all have a job, our levees, our dams, and that's to keep communities safe. And all we have to do is look at Texas and what happened with that superstorm, yes. right? The communities weren't safe because the infrastructure system failed. There was a climate impact that caused that infrastructure to, to, to basically um, be overrun. And so, you know, millions of Texans were without power. People died because of a failure of an infrastructure system that was largely brought on by a climate, a climate episode. So you really can't divorce the two. Now right. that we're in a place where, you know, climate change does impact our infrastructure systems. You go back a few years ago and what Hurricane Sandy did to the Northeast. I'm from New York. Seeing the subway systems in New York flooded with water and shut down for days. Failure of infrastructure systems because of a superstorm. So we really can't divorce the two. And I think people just need to be real about that and and stop politicizing, you know, the phrase climate change and look at what the systems are meant to do, and that is to keep communities safe. And if we all agree that we want to keep Americans safe and that we want to keep our communities safe, then there should be no discussion about what we need to do. There should be no question about the investments that need to be made. Yeah, yeah, without question. And to your point, I mean, infrastructure shouldn't be political. Infrastructure right. is necessary. I mean, one of the things you hear, you know, two things you hear people complain about on local levels to the city council or local legislators are potholes and lights that don't work on the street, right? That's right. I, I mean, and, and these are part of our infrastructure. That's um, right. uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi said, building, and I quote, building roads and bridges and water supply systems and the rest has always been bipartisan, mm -hmm. always been bipartisan, except when they oppose it with the Democratic president, as they did under President Obama, and we had to shrink the package. Now, I'm certainly hoping that we're not going to have a repeat of this, uh, you know, because, of course, during the Obama years, we didn't have COVID and, you know, the uh, suffering uh, economically that people have had, not to mention losing loved ones as a result uh, or being very sick. And some people, you know, what do they say? Those long haulers are still having, uh, you know, symptoms, uh, you know, as a result of this, um, you know, uh, politically, this shouldn't be political, but politically, I would think that if you make somebody's life easier, less stressful, safer by repairing that road or bridge, that bridge, the infrastructure, you know, securing, uh, you know, more national security where infrastructure is applicable there, uh, you know, with regard to the environment and climate change. And like you said, especially when you look at, you know, Texas, which is typically mm -hmm. a red state, a very Republican state. Um, you know, and, and because this shouldn't, you know, be political, is it possible for us to, you know, wake up to the fact that infrastructure is not political? Inf infrastructure 
is necessary for each and one of each and every one of us. It doesn't matter what our ideology is. We're all driving across those bridges. We're all flying on those airplanes. If we break our hip, we need that hip socket, that joint, that replacement. Uh, we all use the internet. I, I mean, the list just goes on. And I hate to say it, but it but it is so political, and that's what's unfortunate unfortunate about it. You know, I, I feel like right now. Um, we're in the rescue phase, you know, that $1.9 trillion package that was signed by the president that he and Vice President Harris are going across the country, educating Americans about what was included in there to help working Americans. We're in the rescue phase right now. When they get back and, they're, and, they, and, they, and they shift their attention to infrastructure in D.C., we'll be in the recovery phase. And that's where those investments in infrastructure will happen. That's where those policies will be crafted. But I think this is where the politics come in, Leslie. Next year is a huge election year. A lot of Americans don't think about it in that way, but it's the midterm election. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where every single member of the House is up, right? And you have 30, you know, Senate seats that are all... Well, we're having a slowdown with the internet on your end. Uh, again, uh, so Roxanne, it's not your fault. Be up. This and oh, unfortunately, Republicans don't want Biden to win. Yeah, very true. Uh, You're right. That would be a feather in his cap, a feather in Democrats' cap, a feather in the Biden administration gonna, cap. They're not going to want to have a victory for him. You know, this, this, this rescue package was a significant feat. It was a significant victory. And couple that with a recovery plan that could potentially mean a significant amount of intention to be so bad recovery, that is where the politics will come in. Speaker Pelosi went on to say, quote, but nonetheless, hopefully we will have bipartisanship. Um, do, do you think there's a misconception with infrastructure? Because we talked about some areas that people don't think uh, include infrastructure, the umbrella of infrastructure covers, and um, that is broadband. Uh, water systems, um, even mass transit. I don't think people, you know, realize, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and and obviously good paying jobs. And after, you know, such a crisis in an economy, okay. so many businesses that have closed, so many people that have lost their jobs as a result of this pandemic, we need good paying jobs. So, uh, so uh, we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and we'll try and get this fixed during the break. When we come back, we'll talk about um, a misconception with infrastructure and some things that infrastructure includes like broadband and water systems, mass transit, and and about how good paying jobs is a win for Americans and a win for any politician, whether Democrat or Republican. But good point you make, Roxanne, about not wanting Joe Biden or Democrats to get the credit if they're a Republican. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Roxanne. We'll be back with you right after this. And hopefully we get that little glitch on her end uh, fixed because we do not want you to miss one thing that she says back in a moment. We are back. We being me, Leslie Marshall, and she being Roxanne Brown. She is the USW, the United Steelworkers International Vice President at Large. Like I said, be sure to follow her on Twitter at Brown Rocks, B-R-O-W-N-R-O-X. You may say, Leslie, I know how to spell Brown. Some people spell it with an E. Uh, and also follow the USW on Twitter at Steelworkers. Visit their website, USW.org. Uh, Roxanne, thank you for holding welcome back because we had some issues we don't want to uh, we've got to see her. Sorry, we're not seeing her right now, but we need to hear her uh, regarding uh, the massive infrastructure investment that we are talking about 
uh, the um, infrastructure uh, plan that we are talking about and some very good points um, that she has made. Before the break, uh, Roxanne, thank you for holding and welcome back and dealing with all of these crazy uh, internet snafus. Speaking of, broadband is is part of the infrastructure. Water systems are p- part of the infrastructure. Before the break, I asked, do you think there's a misconception and people just think of infrastructure as roads and bridges and therefore they think, oh, I don't want to dump all that money into it. But when you start to say, well, what about broadband? What about water systems? What about mass transit? Um, you know, a, a, a and then B, um, good paying jobs. Who, after a pandemic, when the economy's been hit so hard, small businesses, big businesses have closed. Uh, individuals have lost their jobs, lost their livelihood. Who wouldn't want to sign on to something, even though it's going to cost uh, to create jobs? Because that money that people have is going to be reinvested uh, back into our community and help the economy and pay back that debt. Um, so twofold, is there a misconception with infrastructure and two, who wouldn't want to sign on to, to create good paying jobs? Cause this certainly would infrastructure certainly does create very good paying jobs on a lot of them in so many different areas. Hi, Lizzie. Thank you so much. And, and my apologies again for my technology. Don't snafus apologize. On my end, but don't apologize. <laughs> I, 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 I'll be on that. Na- I'll be on national TV and I completely freeze and, you know, people will say to me, Leslie, you're frozen, but just keep talking. So it happens all, it happens <laughs> exactly, all. exactly. But to your point, another example of why we need to have investments in broadband and 5G and getting us to a place where 5G is is pretty widely deployed across the country, especially in rural communities. You know, so, you know, to, to your point about people only thinking about roads and bridges, we are right now in a time where so many kids in some states, some kids have gone back to school. But in, in a lot of states, kids are still working from home. Uh, and in some communities where broadband is is worse than mine right now, <laughs> um, in rural communities where they just really have not built out the infrastructure to support uh, people working from home or going to school from home. And so something that simple is what needs to be improved upon in this country. You mentioned water systems. You know, there's a water main break every two minutes in this country, every uh-huh. two minutes. And we lose billions upon billions of gallons of clean water every two minutes in this country, right? So there's so many different pockets that need to be improved upon. And that that American Society for Civil Engineers report that I mentioned earlier, they looked at 17 areas, 17 areas of infrastructure investments that run the gamut from energy to water to sewage systems to our dams and our levees and our waterways, um, you know, to our electric grid, quite literally across the entire scope of the infrastructure systems in this country that really, really need the investment. So, you know, I think we need to be better. We collectively need to be better about talking about what infrastructure is for, for, for Americans and localizing it and helping them to understand what a failure in an infrastructure system means for their community, right? So, yes. you know, in, 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 in uh, Michigan, there was a, a dam that collapsed last year and mm-hmm. it directly impacted our members. We have about 600 members at a Dow facility up there, directly impacted their work. They, they had to stop going to work for a period of time because of a dam collapse. So localizing what um, what infrastructure systems are and what they mean uh, to folks at a very local level, I think will help people to understand a lot better. And to your second question, I don't get it. I don't get um, yeah. 
what the cognitive dissonance is. I testified before Ways and Means, the House Ways and Means Committee last year, and um, I got this question actually from uh, one of the members of the committee that said, why is it that it's so hard for us to move infrastructure policy in Congress? And I just turned the question back, back to them and I said, why is it? Because to your point, Leslie, this is bipartisan. Everyone agrees that we need to make these investments. You have constituency groups across the board from the business community to the labor community to the environmental community to civil and human rights communities saying we need investments in infrastructure, not just because of what they mean for our communities, but because of what it means for jobs. And Congress still doesn't move. So I, I, I think, you know, it's a. Uh, it's an unclear uh, reason why this hasn't happened, but we're just going to continue the push. And I think uh, it's a new day with the Biden-Harris administration. And, and I think we'll see some progress this time around. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look at look at it again. It's not a left or right, Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative concept to promote good growth, create good paying jobs, protect our planet. And, and make sure we're fiscally sound as a nation and that, you know, our nation individual homeowners need to be or, you know, households need to be. Uh, Nancy Pelosi directed key Democratic lawmakers to begin working with Republicans on a big, bold and transformational infrastructure uh, package. And uh, you had mentioned Joe Biden during the presidential campaign. He laid the groundwork by proposing two, two trillion. I think that has gone up to three, I believe you said, mm -hmm. in accelerated investments um, to shift to cleaner in energy, uh, build half a million charging stations for electric vehicles, uh, the, hello jobs, uh, support public transit, uh, repair roads and bridges, uh, as we have discussed about. And the plan emphasizes the importance of creating unionized jobs and addressing uh, climate change. Um, and, and talk to us about that, because, you know, I, I always say, you know, my mom always said, you know, if you want something done, you know, uh, you know, do it right. If you're going to do something, do it right the first time and don't do it at all. And one of the things I have to say is unions do it right. Unions manufacture products and items right. Um, and, and you get what you pay for. I mean, you buy uh, three T-shirts for 10 bucks made in China. They're going to fall apart after one wearing or one washing, certainly. Um, but, you know, there is money to be offset tax credits to support investment in domestic manufacturing facilities. Uh, the EPI Economic Policy Institute found that 16.5 indirect jobs are lost per one million dollars for the drop in demand for durable manufacturing. And that's compared with 10.6 indirect jobs lost for the same demand uh, drop in uh, retail. Um, so uh, all around, again, you know, like you said, you don't know why. I agree with you. You know, I don't know why. Uh, but I want you to explain to people why it's important that we create unionized jobs, um, you know, as part of this package. It's about uh, sustaining families. It's not just about sustaining workers who have the union jobs, but it's also about sustaining their families. In most cases, and I'll just use our union, you know, as an example, our steel workers. On average, let's say they make $80,000, actual steel steel workers, $80,000. And that $80,000 comes with health care. It comes with uh, retirement security. Uh, and that $80,000 then bleeds out into the community in terms of the tax base, right? So it's, it's supporting um, uh, hospitals. It's supporting uh, public schools. It's supporting libraries. It's supporting, going back to the roads and bridges, uh, investments in those types of infrastructures. But it's also allowing a family to be able to send their kid to school, to be able to buy a car, and to then, again, lend to the uh, economy in which they live. You know, 
those jobs are so critically important to family and community sustainability that um, it, it, it cannot it cannot be undersold. And that's a message I think that we've really tried to impart upon policymakers because I think oftentimes the vision of what these jobs um, are is very short-sighted. And they don't realize that the, the profound economic impact that just one union job with union wages and union benefits can mean for a family and a community. Um, and so, you know, it, that's why our union exists. That's why the labor community exists. Uh, I think something that you said about, um, you know, if you want something right, you know, come to the union and have the union build it, have the union make it, because we do it like no one else can. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, I want to say the USW has endorsed the American Jobs and Energy Manufacturing Act of 2021. This has been introduced by Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow from Michigan. Uh, and this would be to revive and expand the 48C tax credit. They're particularly uh, supportive of legislation that directs a portion of the spending to manufacturing facilities in communities, uh, like you had mentioned earlier, with significant job losses in coal, power plants, and manufacturing. With less than 60 seconds left, I'm going to give you the final, uh, you know, less than a minute here uh, to give uh, our listeners and our viewers, um, you know, your last uh, word for the interview uh, today, Roxanne. Uh, I would just say domestic manufacturing is critically important for this economy. Without a strong and vital domestic manufacturing base, our middle class suffers. You mentioned 48C. It's a policy that would require investments in our existing domestic manufacturing facilities. We need those investments to happen for jobs to continue, not just today, but into you know the, 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 the tomorrows and for kids across the country to be able to look to domestic manufacturing as a viable option for their futures as well. Very well said. Roxanne, more than a pleasure to have you with us today. Like I said, folks, follow her on Twitter at Brown Rocks, B-R-O-W-N-R-O-X. Also follow the USW at Steelworkers. Be sure to visit their website, USW.org. Roxanne, always a pleasure. Love you, girl. Sorry we didn't see you at the very end there, but I'm glad to see you for most of it. Thank, uh, thank you, Leslie. for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank all of you. And thanks to Marky Mark Romaldi, our executive producer. This show and I would not be possible without him. Have a great day. I hope the sun's shining where you are. Let's come out here in Los Angeles. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we're upping the benefits without upping the price. Introducing Magenta Max. Now with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus get Netflix on us. Right now, pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 650 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. Up to 40 gigs high-speed tethering. $650 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Simmons support charges waived. Receive Netflix standard with two lines. 11 bodies. 10 years and countless theories. I'm talking about the Long Island serial killer case. It was just how many bodies were being found in one area. I was shocked. Follow us, Billy Jensen and Alexis Linkletter, on Unraveled, Long Island serial killer. And to follow our investigation even further, don't miss our all-new special Unraveled, the Long Island serial killer. Streaming now, exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. Discovery+.